0: Welcome to Challenge of the Decade. Challenge of the Decade is a podcast series by FMO, the Dutch Entrepreneurial Development Bank. In this series, we'll be discussing the challenges that lie ahead and the actions that need to be taken to reach the UN sustainable development goals in the coming 10 years. My name is Jonathan Gruber, and in this episode, we are talking about a different kind of green than we usually talk about on this show. We're talking about forestry. And this is a huge topic. Forests are the lungs of the earth. Investing in sustainable forestry contributes to curbing deforestation, of course, but also slowing climate change. The World Resources Institute says 30% of global forest cover has been cleared and another 20% degraded. And what is left is mostly fragmented, leaving only about 15% intact. Now, this, of course is a problem, because forests are a vital tool to combat climate change. The forests we have left are still capable of absorbing 2 billion tons of carbon dioxide each year. That's about a third of the amount released annually by burning fossil fuels. But deforestation contributes more greenhouse gases than the entire worldwide transport sector. And this is why proper forest management is critical to close the emissions gap and limit global temperature rise. So we need to really invest in keeping the forests we have and investing in creating more. It's a no brainer, right? The thing is, in terms of money, investment in forestry doesn't have the greatest rate of return. So how does a development bank like FMO invest in sustainable forestry? What challenges must be overcome? To help me answer these questions and many, many, many others are my two guests. Right next to me in the studio is Anton Timpers. He's the manager of agribusiness at FMO. Hello, Anton. Hello, nice to meet you. And talking to us all the way from India, we have Sandeep Chowdhury, project officer at Oxfam India. Hello, Sandeep. Hi, thank you for having me. So we're going to start with Anton. He's right here after all. So Anton, what exactly does a uh, manager of agribusiness at FMO do?
1: Well, Jonathan, uh, together with a group of colleagues, we invest in uh, agribusiness companies and forestry companies around the world. And we invest in the whole supply chain. So we invest from plantations all the way to trading, processing. um, um, Yeah. So maybe to give you a few examples, uh, that could be a plywood factory in Laos. It could be a blueberry farm in Peru. It could be a fish farm in Zambia. um, Those type of... um, those type of companies.
0: So, those are the things that you
1: invest in. What do you do? And I manage a team of an, uh, of investment officers. Uh, so, specifically, the investment officers for uh, for Latin America and, and and the forestry team.
0: Right. So, Sandeep, you're Oxfam India's project officer, working mainly in the field of energy access in forest landscapes. Did I say all that right? Yeah, you're right. Okay, so what, what exactly is that? Uh, that's a complex title, let's
2: be honest. Uh, you got it right, Jonathan. Uh, I do spend a quality amount of time with our grassroots partners and our local indigenous communities living in and around uh, the subtropical forests in India. Uh, improving access to energy in these remote geographies uh, happens to be just one of the things that I do besides uh, working on tenure, forest-based livelihoods, ecosystem monitoring, community-based forest management, etc., but all within the ambit of climate justice. So yeah, uh, healthy balance between desk work and field, no complaints.
0: In fact, I was going to ask you that if you spent a lot of time out in the field, but I would hope so, you know, given your job title, right? Right, yeah, yeah. Anton, FMO is less risk-averse than most banks, but you you still have to make money, right? Yeah, that's correct. We we invest in the
1: private sector and uh, we want to be financially sustainable.
0: Right, so you... Gave me a long watching list of all the kinds of forestry things that you guys invest in. But, and here comes the big question, can you make money investing in forestry? Yes, but I think our, our kind of main motivation <laughs> no, to... I'm, la- I'm sorry, I'm laughing because you said yes, but before you did that, you had a big, you you have a big smile on your face, and then you had a, you breathed in like, uh, here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> but can you, no, seriously, I interrupted you. Can you inve- Can you make money investing in forestry? Yes, you
1: can. But I think our, our let's say, prime motivation to invest in forestry is, is much more strategically than than, than making money. Mm-hmm. I think and, uh, for FMO, but for for. For many banks, it's very important to get our, our investment portfolio to a pathway that complies with the Paris agreements, which for FMO means we want to have a zero-carbon portfolio. And if you look at most of our activities, they, they emit carbon, and you can reduce it, but it's very difficult to bring it back to zero. So on the other side, we need to invest in forestry because that's, that's the sector that can actually absorb, sequester carbon
0: right so what you're saying is is that a lot of the things that you invest in put carbon into the atmosphere so it's very important for you guys to invest in forestry so you can reabsorb the carbon that your investments make is that that's did i correct. say that correctly yeah that's correct okay can you make money doing it
1: uh yes you can but then uh it's 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 a more risky business than than what most people think um or than what what the perception may be um it's it's a sector that has an extremely long gestation period. You, if you plant a tree, then you have to wait uh, for, for quite a long time, usually 10 to 20 years, before the tree reaches maturity and you can actually monetize it. But in that time, you need to take care of the tree. So it needs you need to weed, you need to prune the tree, um, and you need to, um, well, that's
0: basically what, what you need to do. So basically what, what you're saying is, and the pun is definitely intended, is that before you can... Uh, reap the benefits of cleaner air, you have to hold your breath for a long time, yes? Well, I think the cleaner
1: air is, is, is there from the beginning. And of course, the bigger the tree, the, uh, uh, the bigger the effect on, uh, on, let's say, on the environment. But for a tree to actually to become a profitable uh, uh, investment, you need to also harvest the tree, which, which is fine because we also need products from wood for construction, for furniture, etc. But we just need more trees.
0: And, and you guys are actually doing this kind of thing? You're making the investments? We are making the investments. That's correct. be a good example of exactly that kind of thing that you're talking about um,
1: well for instance we've invested in a company called Myro. it's a uh, it's a company that operates in Sierra Leone uh, and they actually have plantation forestry and we're now ramping up through additional investments to actually make the factories that can actually make products out of the trees that they're growing
0: there, in Sierra Leone, rather Correct. than just exporting the trees, I guess, which
1: is what Correct. happens now? At the moment, the company, that country is importing the, 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 let's say the forestry products. So building material is imported usually from South Africa and with this uh, plantation and with the factory that we're financing, actually it will reduce the imports and they can rely on the local economy.
0: Excellent. So they can have it, the trees be a local resource rather than an imported resource. Exactly. Oh, very good. Um, so Sandeep, FMO's challenge, of course, uh, it has this extra hurdle of having to prioritize profit, right, when they're operating in forestry, yeah. even though they're more patient than most people are. Most most people who would invest in this area don't have the patience for it. FMO is willing to take the time. They're willing to uh, think along with the organizations that they're working with. And uh, You, on the other hand, you work at Oxfam. You're a charity. So, you don't have... All those kinds of hurdles. But what are the challenges in forestry that you face?
2: Well, the biggest challenge for us uh, is to get all the stakeholders aligned for making a project, a forest project, truly sustainable. Uh, There are often competing interests from government, local community, the private sector, and these interests have to be met uh, without compromising on the ecological integrity of the forest itself. Uh, For example, the government might want to build an eight-lane highway through a forest to cut travel time between two important cities, while a private mining company would like to dig it for for valuable mineral reserves uh, lying underneath that forest land. Uh, The local indigenous community, on the other hand, would like to continue using the forest for their livelihood medicinal or spiritual needs and then on the uh, wildlife side you, have an, you might have an endemic uh, bird or reptile at the verge of extinction uh, which might need the forest for the mere survival of its species. Uh, so you see the pressure on the same forest land can be multifold and, and it's getting more and more intense with time uh, which causes a, a, a lot of issues obviously. Uh, more often than not is the stakeholder with the least political and economic muscle that ends up on the losing side namely. Uh, nature, and local communities. Our uh, job, therefore, is to amplify the voices least heard and advocate and work with all stakeholders to make sure that the projects uh, are just and equitable. So
0: let me see if I understand correctly what you say your job is. Your job is to work with the the local communities and to amplify their voice so that they have an equal voice at the table when everybody is sort of fighting it out for the right to... Uh, use the land, is that correct? Correct, yeah. Okay, so can you give me an example of a time that you were actually doing this?
2: Well, uh, let me give an example from my own country, Uh, India. We have a very progressive act in India called the Forest Right Act, which provides forest-dwelling indigenous communities legal ownership of the forest lands uh, that they've been using traditionally for centuries. Uh, Now, there's increasing pressure from the government to use some of these common lands for plantations, uh, which are basically compensation for the natural trees that were were taken down due to some development activity uh, somewhere else in the country. Uh, since land rights will make the job of plantations more difficult, uh, the state has less incentive to recognize these tenure rights. So on the one hand, we say indigenous communities are the best guardians of forests, and then the guardians themselves are left unprotected. Uh,
0: so, yeah. How did, how did it work out in the end?
2: It's always a tussle, you know, and uh, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we were the, the, the decision favors the local communities. Sometimes uh, the government does what it does yeah. it has to. Go. It's it sounds like it's a constant struggle. It's a constant struggle, yeah.
0: So why don't we talk a little bit about deforestation, because? This is basically what Sandeep was talking about as well, right? Deforestation itself and and making sure that we have trees around to absorb all that extra CO2 we make. That means managing the trees we have right at this moment. I almost don't dare ask, but... How's that going in India, Sandy?
2: In India, we have basically, you know, stabilized the deforestation. It's, it's not a question of huge amounts of deforestation, you know, the the kind that we see in Amazon or Indonesia. So um, maybe, you know, I could talk about what's happening in the world at least. Sure. Uh, which is, sure. you know, no, deforestation still continues at an alarming rate. And according to FAO's State of the World's Forest Report 2020, we have lost a staggering 178 million hectares of forest here in the only in the last 30 years, and almost. 40% of the world's tropical deforestation can be attributed to commercial agriculture for human consumption mainly you know meat palm oil soy etc. Uh, as you mentioned in your opening remarks, you know, deforestation is a double-edged sword uh, that only that not only releases harmful GHG emissions, but also decreases our ability to adapt to climate change impacts. Uh, uh, we know we cannot stabilize the climate under 2 degree or 1.5 degrees centigrade without stopping deforestation. So, you know, when talking about forestry, we... we We have to talk about how we produce food and other consumables in a sustainable way. So basically, we can't solve forests without solving food. It's a delicate balance, uh, but an urgent one. Uh, Because, you know, nobody knows where to draw the line, right? Uh, How do we decide how much... Meat, rubber, soy, timber, or for that matter, chocolate or avocado is enough. If the whole world uh, wants to eat avocado every day, that's just not possible. That's not sustainable. Uh, look what has happened in Chile. Uh, rampant avocado plantations in Chile have already dried out entire rivers, forcing uh, local communities to rely on water brought on weekly trucks. Uh, the biodiversity devastation caused by soy and cattle ranching in the Great Amazon forest is no secret. Ivory Coast, the West African nation, has lost 85 percent of its forests due to cocoa. The chief ingredient of our chocolates, a wave of palm oil plantations, are ravaging the remaining tropical forests of Indonesia uh, to meet the nearly insatiable demand for cheap palm oil. These, of course, only a few examples of the social and environmental fallout of deforestation. There's an entire health aspect to it. Uh, The majority of new infectious diseases affecting us, including the SARS-CoV-2 virus that caused the current COVID-19 pandemic, uh, can be linked to deforestation and the expansion of human populations into wild areas.
0: It, that is quite a list. That's really a list. If I could just bring Anton into this now, I understand, because believe it or not, we actually talked about this almost before we went on the air about the fact that FMO is investing, you are investing in avocados. Is that correct?
1: That's that's correct. And and, and Sandeep, I fully agree with you that we need to stop deforestation and, and at the same time actually invest in, in, in new forests. But let me give you the example of, of avocado. I, I know the situation in Chile and indeed it's, it's, it's horrible. In Peru, uh, which is actually a country where avocado production is growing a lot, uh, we're trying to prevent the same situation. So what, what what we do, and we call it a sector initiative, we've introduced the Alliance for Water Stewardship in the uh, horticulture sector of, of Peru. And and that, um, that NGO is actually working with companies to make sure that they don't only take care that their avocado trees have enough water, but they also make sure that the avocado trees or the produce of the neighbor have enough water and that actually the communities downstream have enough water. So that actually you live in harmony with, with the... Kind of a larger catchment area that's that is using that water Uh, and I think that is that is probably the way at least that's the way how FMO addresses these kind of problems is we know that the world needs food we know that there is huge demand for avocados for chocolate etc and we need to make sure that the ones that are producing those products are doing that in a sustainable manner
0: so it's possible that we can make a show which is a long laundry list of all the terrible things that are happening in the world and it's hard to deny that there are some very negative things happening when it comes to deforestation. But I think it's also really important we talk about the things that are working. For example, working with avocados like uh, the way FMO is working right now. How do we turn this whole thing around? And I'm going to ask you first, Sandeep, because you really are out there on the front line. You're working on this every day. How do we turn this around?
2: Well, transformation is needed in all all fronts, be it social, political, or economical. Uh, Consumers cannot afford to remain divorced from the reality of their food, and they have to demand food grown sustainably and make hard choices if required. Uh, Our politics need to prioritize natural capital because it is at the base of this pyramid we call civilization. Uh, Without it, sooner or later, the pyramid crumbles. As for economics, we need to invest in people and make the supply chains more robust, uh, even if it means earning a little less profit. Uh, Everybody agrees we are not reaching our conservation goals without the help of communities, but land issues don't get solved easily. So communities need to be treated uh, like an important stakeholder that they are, uh, not only in paper, but in reality to make, you know. Uh, for its projects, truly sustainable, yeah. So
0: that's a really long list, Sandeep. What is the one thing you would give priority to? What's the one thing that really needs to happen, in your view?
2: Well, I think, you know, due diligence and management frameworks are there. We we know uh, what needs to be done. You know, sustainability and corporate sustainability is not a new topic. Uh, It's really a question of right implementation, you know, and really about intention. And let me give you an example of, yes. uh, you know, something very close to your home. You know, the example of a Dutch chocolate company, Tony's. uh uh-huh. Yes. Uh-huh. Which has taken in you know, a complete ownership of its supply chain, it removed middlemen, uh, invested in welfare of farmers by ensuring fair wages and child labour-free cocoa bean collection in Ivory Coast. Uh, they they even claim to pay cocoa bean farmers 40% of farm gate prices uh, fixed by the government while still making a good profit. So you know it's it's possible. It's about intent uh, and due diligence. Uh, uh, Continuous monitoring but but really about about intent and you know uh, instead of you know maybe all, not all this business first, but let's let's care about the people and planet first, and maybe you know we can make an eke out a good profit while doing uh, the other things also yeah
0: well you know let's let's talk about actually about the profit as soon as you say the word profit, I think of of fmo and, and you over there anton I mean, how do we get people besides fmo? who invest in forestry, other organizations that would otherwise look at how much time it takes, how long you have to wait before you turn a profit on this. How do you get them to do it? I think forestry or or
1: basically investing in emerging markets is 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 a challenge uh, always, uh, and I think you need to develop a market. You need to demonstrate that it actually works and that you can make make uh, make a return, and then gradually get get uh, uh, let's say more commercial investors into an investment. Um, FMO is, is like you said, is is also risk averse and we need to make money. So our first, and actually our first forestry investments we made with with FMO's own money. And they were not all a success. Uh, And I think we also had to sit back and see how can we actually make this better or how can we actually invest in this sector without losing too much money. This is important for the Dutch government. This is important for the UK government. And actually over time, uh, uh, both governments have given us money to invest in this sector. Because it is an important sector, and it does need investment.
0: Yeah, and, but it, I mean, I think the thing that FMO does, because yeah, you're risk-averse compared to, say, Oxfam, because they're a charity. But you're not all that risk-averse compared to the great commercial market that's out there of uh, investment banks and big investment companies. You guys lead the way when it comes to that. So is what you're doing showing that it can be done? Is that part of the intent of what FMO is doing?
1: <laughs> yeah, of course, because an, uh, as, as a development banking community, we're, we're relatively small in the whole scheme of things. So we want to be a front and uh, We want to demonstrate that things are possible. And then hopefully the private sector will follow with investments. Maybe a good example is a fund in which we invested, which is a, is a large forestry fund in Australia. In the developed markets, forestry is an accepted asset class and, and, and pension funds invest in that. It gives a low but very certain long-term return. In emerging markets, that's that's often not the case. Uh, um, apart from all kinds of natural disasters that you can that you can come across, like fires, like hurricanes, like 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 diseases, you've got other problems in emerging markets. Think about if you want to sell your wood and you're competing with illegally chopped wood from from natural forests that depresses the price. Think about the absence of any processing industry. What can you do with a log you can't add value and then it's very difficult to make money on that so i think those are the type of investments uh, and the type of development work that needs to be done to make this uh, uh, an an asset class in which uh, let's say pension funds insurance companies can actually invest
0: right This question is to the both of you, but I want to start with you, Sandeep. What is the single most important thing people who are listening to this now need to know about
2: what it is that you do? Well, Jordan, if I have to put it in one sentence with a touch of grandiose, you know, uh, we safeguard the weakest and most vulnerable sections of the society, dependent on forest and other natural resources, because they are the weakest link in the whole chain of things, yeah.
0: Right. And the same question to you, Anton. Yeah,
1: well, we work with the private sector because we think that the private sector has an important role to play. But we also need to hold the private sector accountable, and that's exactly what we do. We help them to invest, but we make sure they do it in a sustainable manner.
0: Right. So you hold the private sector accountable? What do you mean by that exactly? It's that we
1: agree on certain performance standards with these companies. And if they actually breach those standards, they have a problem. And and Uh, with whom do they have a problem? They have a problem with us. Ah, And what can you do? Um, well, because we give them money, if they breach that promise, then we will ask our money back, and that is often uh, a big problem for for a company because it's not only FMO that wants its money back; it would be a whole uh, a range of banks that might also want their money back. So, whilst we don't want to take our clients hostage, of course, we do hold them accountable, and we do have that that dialogue is is how can you make sure that the way you produce is is
0: is done in a sustainable way. Now, I'm not going to ask you for an example here because I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but have you ever had to do that?
1: <laughs> um, no, we've actually never done it, but I think the ability to do it is already enough, uh,
0: enough of a stick to make companies perform. Right. So, you guys both have really hard jobs. Before we leave, I would like you both to give me one example of the thing that makes your job Worth it, Sandy.
2: It is hard, Jonathan, but it is also an interesting field. Uh, There are so many worlds within this one world: the industrial world, the political world, the natural world, the urban world, and the tribal world. Uh, The perk of my job is that I get to connect some of these dots and see how interconnected, you know, the 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 worlds are. And it's a beautiful realization because, uh, you know. I guess there is a sense of purpose and humility and intrigue in, in what I do. And we all need each other to thrive on this speck of dust we call Earth. And it, it's a good fight that we fight, and that makes it totally worth it.
0: Can you give me an example of something that happened where you thought, oh, you know what, this is why I do this job. It's a hard job, it's a tough job, but this is it. This is it. Mm.
2: <sighs> <laughs> well... When I when I really started working with indigenous communities, you know, obviously I came with uh, came up with my preconceived notions about them and all, but uh, uh, as you. As you see and I've watch very closely, you know, the, the way they go about their business, uh, it, it really makes you feel very, very humble. It makes you humble in the sense like what you know is not enough. And there's so much to know. There's so much going out there. And and yeah, I mean, that that was uh, something that touched me. Yeah. Well,
0: I'm going to keep pushing on this until I get the answer that I think people would like to hear. <laughs> so when you say you experienced something that made you humble. Can you tell me about one of those times? I have a sneaking suspicion you are yourself somewhat humble. And so talking about these things is maybe hard to talk about?
2: We often consider, you know, say our idea of non-vegetarianism is different. So uh, it, it caused animal harm, it caused suffering. Uh, but then, you know, in indigenous communities, you know, it's it's a normal thing, you know, to hunt and uh, provide for their families. So. You know, for me, it might be you know causing the animal a lot of harm and the way they hunt and all, but it, it's it's something so basic for them, uh, and, and it's a different light. You know, the, the the lens that you see has if you've changed that lens, you know, the the perception also changes. So, for right from uh, you know animal welfare, it becomes question of you know uh, poverty uh, and culture, even culture. Do you really feel like you're helping? Helping in the sense, sorry.
0: Well, helping to change the lives of the communities that you work with.
2: Well, absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, tenure, land tenure is something so essential. I mean, if, if, if you take any land and you don't know, you know whose it is and what to do, the productivity of the land and the optimal use of that land will never happen. So one of the important things that we do, you know, is to is to make sure that the historical injustices that has been you know, done to these people uh, are corrected, you know, by you know doing the bare minimum, which is giving them the land rights that they you know they are the rightful owners of i mean their forefathers and fathers for centuries they have been tilling those land but they are so insecure that uh, they have to live like you know uh, encroaches basically on their own land so i think we do a very important job and uh, it is appreciated by the community it is
0: and how does yeah. that make you feel
2: well, I can go to, the, my, go to sleep every day uh, uh, thinking that I did not. I, mean, I, I, I was able to help somebody at least. Yeah, contributed my bit. Yeah, it's a big, big world. Well, it's, it's a big thing, but uh, every little step counts. So my little bit makes me sleep well.
0: Great. And Anton, same question to you. Give me an example of the one thing that makes it worth it. Oh the
1: one thing it's 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 difficult it's an um, I think the the thing which makes me get out of bed every day uh, and go to work um, is, is the fact that we're supporting companies that are trying to make, make make the world better. And we're helping them with finance. And the good thing is, as well, it's, we can't travel now, but, but in the times that we used to travel, you go visit your client every year, and you really see that, for instance, if you invest in a factory, the next year that factory has been built. And the year after, you see people working there. And these are people with decent working conditions, and uh, which 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 I find important. How does that make you feel? That
0: makes me feel proud. Proud. Great. And that was our show. How do you guys feel right now?
2: Great. Good. I think there's a nice flow to it.
0: <laughs> Thanks, man. And, and I would just like to thank you guys for, for being on the show. A big thank you to our guests, Anton Timpers, who is the manager of agribusiness at FMO. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. And Sandeep Chowdhury, Project Officer at Oxfam India. Thank you, Sandeep. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Anton. So this is a new podcast, and we're dying to know what you made of it. You can do this by rating us and leaving a review whenever you get your podcasts. And you saw it coming, my friends. Do not forget to subscribe. You can hear The Challenge of the Decade on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on our site, future-minded.fmo.nl, future-minded.fmo.nl. This has been Challenge of the Decade. My name is Jonathan Gruber. Have a challenging week.